with the week that you guys had, what are some specific things that you hope to carry over into the second half? Winning. I hate those. Simple. You know, it, it, there's so many parts to winning a baseball game that, you know, and overcoming some things you're not doing well is part of it too. You know, if you maybe make an error or, or, or maybe don't get a good start, you've got to do some other things well. And, and that's something that, you know, we're capable of doing. You know, the, you know, I, I can tell you a lot of games last year and this year that we've won that, you know, we still had some things that we weren't perfect in. You know, it's very seldom do you play that game. But, uh, you know, just having other phases of the game pick up something that may not be, you know, you're trying to be perfect every night when you know it's not going to be. of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, July the 13th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can just show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, TalkingMetsNoG. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to another edition, a end-of-the-first-half, all-star break edition of the Talking Mets podcast. And yes, it's been a few extra days since I've come to you. And I think when you really look at the baseball season, whether you're a fan or you do what I do and kind of try to insert yourself into the media landscape, you need a break. I mean, 162 games and... What, about 180, 183 days plus postseason? The journey really begins. It really never stops because of the offseason and the 24-7, 365 nature of the sport in modern times. But if you want to say the last time you took a blow or a break was right around the Super Bowl in early February, and then pitchers and catchers report and you have spring training, it's been you know four or five months since you've really been able to take a step back and not have any baseball. Now, maybe you were into the home run derby or the festivities or the game itself. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm just, I'm not into all-star games. And I think I saw this on, I don't know where, who was talking about this, but they said, you know, the the baseball one's the best all-star game. When you think about it, I don't watch the hockey one. I've checked out of the NBA one. It's ridiculous. NFL one's been bad for years, probably since the beginning of time. So maybe they're right, but I think it's important to take a blow, take a step back. That's what I did a couple of extra days to marinate on the first half and then come to you fresh with some good content and some good analysis here on this first half edition, wrapping up the first half, looking towards the second half of the season. Going to throw in, going to let our hair down a little bit, have some fun. Comedian Mets fan Neil Rubenstein will join us. Yes, he's plugging. He's got a a show at the Paramount later in July. But more importantly, Neil is a big Mets fan, and very rarely do we get to see a celebrity on this program. So he'll pop on. We'll let our hair down, have some fun for a few minutes later on in the show. We'll talk about all the Mets in or out. 
Why are they in? Why are they out, Mike? I promised you July 4th, and I didn't fulfill my promise in saying are they in or out. So we'll talk about that. What do they need at the deadline if they're in? What kind of deadline will be, will it be? And then I think we'll get into Billy Epler, Buck Showalter, how they're going to be viewed, how we're going to judge them as we get towards the back half of the season, whether they're, again, in or out. And, yeah, there's the MLB draft. I know some people want me to comment on the draft. I'll get into that. I know Sean Casey and the Yankees and the Yankees hiring a hitting coach is a big deal. That's not Mets news, but it was very interesting, something that came out of the conversation with Sean Casey and what he said. I think it's important. I'll bring that up later in the show. So sit back, relax. It's the all-star break. First half, look back. Second half, look forward edition of the Talking Mets podcast. So. All right, here we are, and, you know, you guys who have been listening to this program for a long time, there's a couple of things that I don't do. I don't do preseason predictions. I don't get into, you know, this team is going to win this much, and because I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not clairvoyant. I don't really gamble, so if that's what you're expecting in the beginning of the season, and then more importantly, I don't do report cards anymore. I'm not going to go 1 through 25, 26 on a roster and say, this guy got an A-, minus. this guy got a C, this guy got a C+, plus. Buck got a D, Billy Epler got an F. They're not in grammar school. They're not in college. You know, the, nobody cares, okay? And your C and my C is different. But I will give an, an overall arching perspective. And I think we'll start here. Uh, you guys know, I'll repeat it if you're listening for the first time, I break the baseball season into three phases. You get to know the team for about, you know, the first 60 games or so, usually by Memorial Day. Maybe now with three wild cards, we got to relook at that. But by Memorial Day, you kind of know what you have with your baseball team. And then if you're in or you're out, if you're out on Memorial Day, you're really bad. But at that point, you start to say, okay, if this is a team that's going to make the postseason and make some kind of run, What do they need over the next eight weeks? What are some of the areas of the team that you're going to be looking at? That's now what do they need phase. So you go from the getting to know you phase to the what do you need phase. And then obviously after August 1st, when the trade deadline passes, you have no more waiver period. There's no more ways outside of your own organization within your own farm system. Or if somebody's dumped, unlikely if they're quality, they'll be dumped onto the free agent market or released. Maybe you could get somebody that way. So, that's where you got to go out and get it done, and then you have the postseason. And at that point, it's like, you know, line it up, everybody's zero and zero, and away you go. So for the Mets, we've been in this weird thing because when you talk about what do they need, it could be what do they need to do to shed veterans and improve their farm system, or what do they need to improve the ball club to make a run, which the only run you're going to have is the wild card as they're you know nearly 20 games back in the division. Going into the last week before the All-Star break, I had said July 4th for me was the demarcation line. And then July 4th came and went. You know, I did my farm system show with our buddy Ernie Dove. A lot of great reviews. We started to warm up. I'm not going to lie here to you. We started to warm up preparing for a second half where it was going to be about the farm system, be about rebuilding and retooling. And that was where I was kind of leading you on that show. That was during the Giants series at City Field. And that actually, that segment with Ernie was recorded right around when David Robertson had given up that home run uh, to blow a game late against the Giants. So things weren't looking good. So a funny thing happened. 
here I am ready to maybe wave the white flag, start preparing everybody. Well, the Mets go to Arizona and sweep the first place Diamondbacks. And although they lose two out of three against the Padres, they come out of the West Coast trip, a difficult West Coast trip, four and two. And you look at the standings on Sunday, and, you know, I've been kind of thinking about this. Oh, there's six games at, seven games out, actually, seven, you know, seven, six in the loss column. Seven games out of the third and final wild card. They have the Giants are in the final wild card as of today. Right behind them, the Phillies, the Brewers, Padres and the Cubs are in that muck. Miami and Arizona, one and two in the wild card. You know, both around 12, 13 games over 500, heading towards 90 wins. So you look at all this and you're like, you know, they're not, it's not really time to dun the Mets. You really can't dun them. But where we're at now, and, and I guess before I even get to that, I, I guess they're in it. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to wave the white flag yet. So it's not like with this third wild card, it's not like there's a date now where you have to make a declaration one or the other. The interesting or weird part about this, and I don't know if I've ever experienced this per se, certainly not in the division era of baseball where you only have one a division or you know, even when there was just one wild card or even a playing game. I've never experienced where it's kind of like day in and day out. You might be in, you might be out because that's really where we're at. This is going to be a nightly discussion. Right now, on July 13th, you're listening to this show. The Mets are in the wild card. I'm not ready to say they're buyers or sellers. We're still going to see what we saw last week with the offense perking up, with the pitching doing better, with if things are aligned and the bullpen is properly rested, you could get enough to get nine outs on any given night from your top relievers to compete with just about anybody in baseball. And I think at one point that was what Max Scherzer said. They feel they could compete with anybody in baseball, and I agree with that. But talk to me Saturday uh, night at around 11 o'clock or Sunday afternoon around 5 or 6 o'clock after the Dodgers series. And if the Mets go out and get swept by the Dodgers this weekend, we could be singing a different tune in just a few days. So it's one of those things where buckle up. The second half is going to be something where your emotions could go up and down. Now, maybe some of you feel, hey, I'm not going to get invested in a wild card scenario. A lot of teams in front of them. It's, a, it's truly a muck. We like to talk when things are jammed up, at least I do, when things are jammed up in baseball and the standings, whether it be a division or a wild card, I like to talk about this muck. It's like think about a crowded midtown Manhattan street where everybody's like pushing and shoving to get across the street. That's like early in the season when everybody believes they're in it. It's a muck. It's somewhat of a muck for the Mets right now. And the the weird part here is that I have not, and this is the, it's and it's already almost August 1st. We're not too far away from August, the dog days of August. But the interesting part is that I haven't even really done any scoreboard watching this year. Last year, by Memorial Day, when the Mets had a, a 10-game lead, you knew there was one score you had to worry about, maybe two for a while, the Phillies. It was the Braves. So every night you were kind of checking in, what are the Braves doing, getting frustrated? They play this, you know, 98 Yankees-level uh, style, you know, 2001 Mariners style of ball, playing over 700 baseball. It seemed like they could never lose. But this year, because it's been about the Mets figuring themselves out, getting to 500, starting to push from there, 
you know, what what scoreboard watching are you going to do? And when you start to look at the wild card here and the standings as of this morning, I mean, the only mo- the game that matters is the Mets. What are you going to watch? The Cubs, the Padres, the Brewers, the Phillies, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, the, the Miami Marlins every night and say, you know, this needs to win. You know, you just, you can't. There's no iteration that that makes sense. So uh, I think it was Andy Martino when he was asking a executive within the Mets organization, you know, what do the Mets need to do? to not be sellers at the deadline in a couple of weeks. And the answer was just win, baby. And and that's really the message. So you start to say, okay, now you want to say, okay, for all purposes of the show, the Mets are in it. We already basically declared them in it for now. What really needs to get done to make this happen? And it's simple Mets math. And I go back and I think about, and I'm really channeling an old intro that I did many, many years ago, almost 10 years ago. When I was on the uh, ESPN affiliate uh, Champions Radio back in 2013, the fall of 2013, it was a crisp, nice, still summery September Saturday morning. And I remember coming on, and the Yankees that year were making a late push for the wild card. The Yankees never really felt like they were in it at any point that season. But they were making a push. I think they wound up winning about 85 games. I'm not going to go to baseball reference and even check because it's irrelevant to my story. But I remember getting on that morning, and I remember a, a, a friend of mine who had known someone that ha- didn't even know my show but happened to be out east in the Hamptons listening to the program. And he was a Yankees fan. He was really agitated by the fact that I came on and did Yankees math. And I basically said that morning, other than the fact that it's the Yankees, it's the pinstripes, and the fact that you want to believe that this is the – traditionally Yankees team, that this is a team that could come and rack off 10 out of 11 and zoom into what at that time was a playing wild card. You couldn't even, it's no, there's no tiers. If there was three tiers, maybe I would have had a different show that morning. There's nothing about how they played the entire 2013 season that indicates that they will be anything like that. So I went through it and I, and, and at that point the math was, Hey, whatever they had to play like 620, 630 baseball. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. And I said, there's nothing about this team that indicates that they can do that. So why are we excited about their playoff chances? Now, I'm coming with a similar message for the Mets, and I stand by that because what's fair is fair. I'm not one of these guys. You know, you have shows in this town that are on WFAN, but personally they act like Yankees podcasts you got to be true to who you are. This is a Mets podcast. It's not a fanboy show. But clearly, even in the best of times, we're not fanboys here. We're going to lean and try to give a perspective that at least gives you glimmers of hope, hope for the Mets within reason. So my message is simple there. You know, you have a lot of things that have to happen. You have all these teams in the crowded mix. You don't believe in the Cubs? Fine. I'm not going to argue with you on that. You think the pod, uh, you think the, the the Brewers don't have enough offense? They don't. They have a great bullpen. The Phillies are the Phillies. They're the same 85, 86, 87 win team from last year. I agree with that. You have the Padres in there, very similar to the Mets. And the Padres are a good team. I mean, you saw them this weekend. Good offense. I mean, Manny Machado seems to be heating up. He's had a down start of the year. Good starting pitching. Hater in the bullpen. You can't ask for – I mean, that's it. That's – Arguably, that's a guy that's better than Edwin Diaz or was up until last year. And then you got the Giants who, you know, seem to have bounced back and have, you know, I don't think they're great, but they're solid. 
And we really don't know right now how good because they have some young players. And, and really, the true test of the season is going through the entire grind. You know, how good is Miami? How good is Arizona? But they've developed some nice cushions where it's going to take a huge drop-off to bring them back to the pack and bring them to that mid-80s to high-80s win pace total. They've developed a cushion, something you expected from the Mets. So when you start to look at everything here, mathematically, with the amount of teams, with the amount of work that needs to be done, with the amount of things that are out of the Mets' control, I'm giving you the same message here. There's really the same message. Yes, the Mets are in it, but... What makes you think that this team, because to get to five, uh, to get to 90 wins, they got to go 48 and 24. That is a pretty solid 86 Mets, 660 plus baseball pace, which last year they played at. But very few teams right now are playing. I mean, think about it. Nobody in the National League is playing at that pace through the first 90 games of the year other than the Atlanta Braves. Nobody. And in the American League, nobody, even the Tampa Bay Rays who got off to this incredible start, has played at a 660 pace. So you have one team, one team in the entire sport right now that's playing at that pace, and that's the Atlanta Braves. And they have a pretty darn good offense. So what makes you think? Now, schedules and balanced schedules and schedules could get a little wonky. I'll add another component to this. Yes, the Mets are in it, but you really can't take them seriously until they're 500. So really, if you go by my credo, which I stand by, and a lot of people, it's not something that I created. You'll hear many of the old school talk show hosts say, you know, got to get to 500. Maybe in the wild card, three wild card era, things are a little different. But that means other than outside of the three that are in the wild card, it's the Phillies, the Brewers that you could take seriously because they're over 500 by seven, eight games. So when you start to look at that, you say, okay, Mike, you're right. This is no different than when you were sitting down in 2013 and talking about the Yankees or the Yankees fans who were angry and astonished that, how can I say that they're not in the race? And they were over 500, that team. Now, there is some precedent. We always like to go to history on this show. And it's not history that's out of left field. It's recent history. And you probably, because this show existed when I, with the situation I'm about to bring up, you probably remember a little bit about this. And you remember we did Mets math back then. So back in 2019, the Mets were 40 and 50 after 90 games. They were worse. They were two games worse than where they are now. And they wound up going 46 and 26 in the second half, playing at an incredible rate. It was, and I don't know record-wise, but similar to what this team is faced with, where there's a couple of soft pockets in the second half. The schedule was a little easier. There was only the wild card play-in, so they didn't have the luxury of multiple tiers of wild card. And that's a shame because if they did, that team makes the playoffs. And that team really was undone mainly by Edwin Diaz. And that's the funny part. Here's a guy that starting to throw from 150 feet, and people are getting excited. Hey, Edwin might make this miraculous recovery and beat the expected timeline of coming back from the patellar tendon injury. But Edwin Diaz did them in, and then there was some soft spots in the offense that made that lineup lack depth. But they had incredibly good starting pitching. And if you remember, by the time they got to mid-September, they started to peter out and conk out, and they couldn't sustain any kind of 
winning because winning at a 660 pace, even for the best in the sport, is hard. Really hard. Now, I also believe in the law of averages. So if you've been so bad one way and your talent indicates you should be another way, you got a lot of winning to catch up on. So maybe outlier type of situations could happen. That team in 2019 had awesome starting pitching. You had DeGrom, you had Syndergaard, who was the second, after a bad first half, was starting to come back and show you who he was. Wheeler, on a walk year, was starting to show you the Wheeler that you've seen in Philadelphia in the second half. Matz, for all the things you could criticize about Steven Matz, he was pitching better baseball out of the back end of the rotation. And then they acquired Marcus Stroman, who is, you know, solid number three, who's having actually better than that year this year. So you know Strowman could always put himself. So everybody in that rotation, including Mats, despite wherever you slotted them, had the ability to be a number one or number two starter. So every night, no matter who you were playing, you were getting good pitching. Now, in theory, with Quintana nearly on the way back, this Mets team should have something similar. And better than the 2019 team, they have a better bullpen. They don't have a snake-bitten Edwin Diaz. They have no Edwin Diaz in this bullpen. And possibly, let's put aside acquisitions at this point, because acquiring a bullpen piece shouldn't be overly difficult. You may have the ultimate acquisition within the next six weeks, depending on how his rehab goes, and I wouldn't rush him. Maybe you get the best closer in the game back in Edwin Diaz. So there is reason for hope. But before I take a break, because when we come back, I want to get into Billy Upward a little bit and Buck. I'm going to remind you, what's fair is fair. We're not phonies on this program. Just like in the fall early fall or late summer, if you want to consider September, late summer of 2013, when I warned Yankee fans not to get too excited. And I don't think I have to, it's it's not applicable here because I don't think Mets fans are overly optimistic at any point. They weren't optimistic last year when they were on a hundred win pace. I'm not sure the math works. We did math and we didn't really do math in 2019 on this show until the Mets got to 500. I think they rattled off like, you know, 15 and 5 run. They got to 500 after being 10 under. And we started to say, okay, this is what they need to do to make the playoffs. The math then at that point, at about 105 to 110 games in the season, was doable. Tough, but doable. I don't know if there's any math here that makes sense. They really can't lose a series. They can't. Ha- what happened against the Padres after a great Arizona series, after a rebounding Giants series, it just can't happen. And to get to 500, unless they have a six-game winning streak in them right out of the gate, which would be awesome, you're looking at the Nats series in late July as kind of when they'll probably realistically be able to hit the 500 and then maybe take off because then they play the Royals after that before they get a little bit more of a thorny stretch against the Orioles and Camden Yards, the Cubs, the Braves, the Pirates, et cetera, et cetera. And the deadline's August 1st. That's that Tuesday. So really, this is truly a situation where it's day in and day out. You know, it could be good today, bad tomorrow. Your emotions are going to go up and down. And to really take this seriously, they got to get to 500. And I think you're three weeks away from that, two to three weeks away.
Because realistically, just like you saw this past week on the, the West Coast, you could sweep a team. It's very hard to sweep the next team, and it's very hard to win series after series after series. Two out of three is 666 baseball. That's what they need to play to get to 90 wins. Maybe 90 wins gets them into this because if the Marlins and the Diamondbacks continue to play at a 92-93 win pace, then you're not going to have room at 90 wins for much margin of error. And the, uh, the Phillies and the Brewers, and maybe even San Diego if they get hot, they could be right in there. So you've taken a, from a standpoint of margin of error, a three wild card team race. And realistically, unless they really collapse, and if this thing is really going to happen, I think either the Marlins or the Diamondbacks have to collapse and come way back to the pack. Because I think the Dodgers will win the division. Uh, You've really narrowed yourself to a one wild card situation. So the situation, although you have more spots than 2019, you really don't. And the Mets are in a similar type of situation. And they're going to have to go on a similar type of run. Now, this group did it. There's guys on this team that were part of that group. And essentially, that group took it one game after a time, after a time, after a time. And that was it. You know, so um, that was that. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Billy Epler and Buck Showalter. What will the trade deadline look like? I didn't forget. We're going to have our uh, our fun segment. Neil Rubenstein, comedian, Mets fan, will tune in. He'll let us know what his thoughts are on the Mets. We'll have some fun there. And away we go. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. So pretty much I laid out how difficult the task is in front of the New York Mets as we head into the symbolic second half. We're already in the second half of the season. What does that mean for Buck Walter and Billy Epler? We've spent the better part of June with that horrible month. And really, you know, I didn't say this in the open. I think June will undo the Mets. I mean, when this is all said and done, that 8-18, eight and 18, what was that what they were in June? Probably is going to be the difference between making the playoffs and not. Because I believe they'll play well enough to get to 500 or better. But I think you'll look back and say if they had only played, even, you don't want to say they won five more games. Maybe they they were two or three games under. Three to four games at the end of this season as you get into this crowded wild card mix is going to make a difference, no doubt about it. So how will Billy Epler and Buck Showalter be viewed? We've been spending the better part of June into July with firing both of them every day, multiple times a day. I've been defending them. I've been you know, saying, hey, look. And Steve Cohen had his press conference. And, this, and, we, and since this press conference, you notice that it all went away. It went away from the fans. It went away with the media. And it really boggles my mind. I know the Wilpons were not great communicators. Sometimes simple things like that, sitting down and taking the heat, that's all it takes. 
and calmly explaining your position, not using the media through unnamed sources, not ignoring and hoping it goes away, playing the ostrich. So good job by Steve Cohen. Knowing that Steve Cohen's playing the long game, I don't expect anybody to be fired, of course, in the second half. I also am not sure that the end of the 2023 baseball season is the end of Buck Showalter and Billy Epler. Now, as far as Buck, and this is not something I want to go to the mat and say it's sourced information, but I talked to somebody who knows a little bit about the team, and he told me not that Billy Epler and Buck are at odds, but that he that he believes Buck not having control of the lineup, having to kind of go up there nightly and speak to the media and kind of defend some of the odd, I guess, analytical decisions being sent down to him might wear on somebody like him. You know, maybe this modern game, Buck was out of the game for about four years, how modern it's become in terms of analytics and how the manager, even an all-time manager like Buck Showalter, who, when he was the Yankees manager, controlled that lineup card. You know, maybe this is a little bit more than even he expected. I don't think Buck will step down. If anything, I think Buck would take, if he's burnt out by this or the Mets feel like, hey, we have an opportunity to go out. Let's say Stearns comes on board. Craig Council's a free agent. You know, Maybe he's going to be the next hot shot manager. I'm not even sure that going back to this, I'm not even sure there's a hot shot manager anymore. I really don't. I think what you see with the cross town with the Yankees and Aaron Boone is pretty much what everybody wants. So I'm I'm starting to change my philosophy on that, much to my chagrin. But if Buck decides to not complete the contract because I think next year is his last year, maybe he goes into a consulting role. I think Buck can provide a ton of value, especially if they take on someone within the organization, an Eric Chavez, a Carlos Beltran, or somebody from outside the organization that has no experience. I think having Buck as kind of a sounding board would be important. Then he could float off into the sunset. So I don't – I think Buck – personally, I think Buck completes the contract. I don't think he would have came on board if he didn't. I'm not sure Buck, even if the Mets won a championship, is going to last past this contract. I don't know if that's – I mean, he's, he's an older man too. He's never really expressed how long he wants to do this. But I do think this is his final shot as a manager. I don't think he takes two years off after this comes back. But who knows? Jack McKean came back. Dusty Baker came back. Who knows? We don't know. So that's the thing about Buck. I think Buck's here for the rest of the contract. If for some reason they have to go out and get a hotshot manager like a council, if that's if there's such a word or there's such a thing, I'm not sure that there is that situation. This is not 2003 and Lou Pinella became available and you could point and say, Lou Pinella, that's the guy that could turn this around. I don't know if that person's out there. I mean, there's actually only one manager that historically that's still around that fits that profile, and he's in Houston, and that's Dusty Baker. Give the man credit. So we'll see. Maybe this gets handed over to somebody internally. Maybe it goes out externally to a hotshot candidate. Now, Epler is going to be a little bit different because Cohen's already put it out there that there's going to be a president of baseball operations and that he's expecting that person to come in, although he'll be Epler's boss, Epler will have a hand in the hiring. It makes things very tricky. I mean, Cohen's going into, from a management protocol, a very tricky scenario. 
because the person that's going to be reporting to the president of baseball operations is in some ways going to have some influence on who that person will be, which when that happens, you would have to say his job is going to be pretty safe because why would anybody bring somebody in that is the polar opposite of them philosophically and you know put their job in jeopardy? Well, unless maybe we're going to have the Mets version of Isaiah Thomas. Is, is Epler going to become – the Dolan Isaiah Thomas scenario. That would be that would be annoying, but that would be great because it would create so much goofy content and goofy scenarios. Especially now, you no, know, back then there really wasn't Twitter. Because you could imagine what was going to be said back then. Now you have Twitter and all this other goofy stuff that goes on. But I do think there's you no know, there's unlike Isaiah, who seemed to have nine lives at that time, and is doing the same thing in Phoenix. If you're an NBA fan, it seems like Isaiah's found another billionaire to pony up to. I think there is accountability with Billy Epler. And I think, and on the, on the way out of this program, after we talk to Neil Rubenstein, I'll very briefly dive into it. I think the draft and the challenges, I mean, Billy Epler, we've talked about it, the challenges of what he inherited, the turnover the Mets have had, the prospect or lack thereof of capital, and the, the need to compete and build a championship team without harming your farm system, very difficult things, now has been enhanced because with the spending, with the gift of spending that Billy Epler has been blessed with for working for Steve Cohen, the penalties that come with that pretty much shove the Mets into the back half of the first round, actually out of the first round, into the compensatory pick. So when you look at what they've tried to do, which is pick guys that have fallen because of maybe signability and using their wallet to do the contend and rebuild at the same time, it makes scouting and developing and drafting that much harder and takes, and I think there was some kind of tweet out there this week where only 9% of who the Mets have drafted in the last decade have made the big leagues. And I think the top team was like 20% or 22%. So there's an 80% failure rate even bigger failure rate than being an offensive player in this game. And remember what Billy Epler said last year, even the best teams have a 17% success rate of winning the World Series. Maybe even the best teams only have a 20 to 22% chance of drafting somebody that will even make it, uh, when I say an impact, show up and put on a big league uniform. So the Mets are at the bottom of that list. A little surprised, but that's not what the point is. It takes a very difficult task of projecting talent and developing talent and makes it that much harder. So this is yeoman's work that Epler's taken on. Give him credit. I mean, he's getting paid, but there are other jobs that he could have had that maybe didn't pay him as much, but certainly would be less on the stress level. And quite honestly, if he fails at this Mets gig, he'll get a job in baseball. But never again will I, I personally believe he'll be the top guy because his resume will be pocketed with disappointment. And in a lot of ways, the Mets are Anaheim East because maybe Moreno did not have the same wallet, but Epler was blessed with Trout and Otani. He brought Otani, credit to him, but he never was able to leverage that and build around them at any point in time. Now, there's much more to that than just Trout and Otani, but you know what I'm saying. So... Epler will be judged one way, in my opinion. Outside of winning a championship in a World Series, which is what he'll always be judged by, or anybody who works for this team will be judged by. Um, 
they will be judged by how this farm system develops. Cohen is not going to, year in and year out for a decade, spend $400 plus million on payroll, take penalties, take losses, and sit back and watch the Mets have to go and get Dominic Leone to fill bullpen holes when there's a need. It's not going to do that. This farm system has to start developing something. Now, is it going to develop the next Mike Trout? That's asking a lot. Is it going to develop the next Pete Alonso? You hope you have some very good all-star, borderline all-star types. All-time Hall of Famers like a Max Scherzer, guys like that, maybe you're going to have to go out and sign them or acquire them. Not everybody has those players. And truthfully, that's always going to be the case because there's always going to be somebody on the free agent market that you bring in that enhances it. You can't, I mean, if look, if you could develop Hall of Famers up and down your, your roster, then you got, you know, maybe you got something that the Dodgers had in the 70s when they had that pipeline and they had that, you know, the Garveys and the Ronsays and things like that. So Billy Epler will be judged. And I think he'll get a little bit of rope here. I don't know where he is in. What is he in the year? Yeah, four-year contract, five-year contract. I think it was five years. Billy Epler is going to get some time here. But within the next 24 months, this farm system has to start to show something, whether it be they use the assets to acquire a big player, a Juan Soto maybe, or they start to produce, at least in the beginning, component-type relievers or component-type uh Offensive players that could round out the lineup instead of signing Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar to, you know, reasonable contracts for ten million plus dollars a year. You have those guys at league minimum that produce that. That's how Epler will be judged. And with that said, that's going to impact the deadline whether the Mets go on a run or not. So I hear people say, "If the Mets are they are they buyers? Are they sellers?" Let's just play devil's advocate here and say the Mets are going to get to 500 pretty quickly, and they're going to be in the thick of that wild card race. No question about it. Forget about my opening and the doubts I have about that. Epler's not going to be able to go out, rip this farm system apart, and say, okay, A.J. Preller wants to move Soto because they're not making – they haven't improved since the All-Star break. Or Anaheim is willing to trade Otani, and the Mets want to rent them. You can't rip up this farm system and do it because going back to what he said at the beginning of his tenure where the probability of winning a World Series is at best, for the best team, 17%. Knowing that, do you think a guy who's going to be judged on how he sustains and provides Cohen with some kind of pipeline of talent that's cost-controlled and affordable, do you think he's going to go out there and blow up the farm system for an opportunity to maybe make the third wild card, and get eight weeks of Otani? Not going to do that. Look at how expensive getting guys like Vogelback and Ruff, component players that were platoon players last year were. Now, I don't think they're going to regret Colin Holderman leaving the room, but those are useful players, and probably those trades, when you look at the assets they gave up, as outside the top 10 or 15 that they were in terms of prospect capital, still was much more expensive because those guys are guys that you'd expect to be able to, you know, pop off the waiver wire in a lot of ways. So he's not going to do that. I see people saying, you know, the Mets, you know, send Kevin Parada, one of their, their, their top prospect, arguably, depending on what list you're looking at, for David Bednar, the Pirates, their closer. Are you, are you out of your mind? Do you really believe they're going to do that? 
I mean, Aroldis Chapman, who at one point was the Edwin Diaz of the Yankees, I think fetched uh, prospects that were from like 12 to 15 in the organization from Texas. Now, as you get close to the deadline, the stakes go up and what have you. So knowing that how Epler is being judged, Cohen has gone on record and, and, and told everybody this. I don't think the deadline is going to be very dynamic on the seller side, uh, on the buyer side. Now, on the seller side, here's my opinion. I'm already hearing the garbage and the nonsense. Oh, the Mets can't get anything from Max Scherzer but a C prospect. Guess what, guys? Here's the message. You know what? Anybody, if there's an executive listening, doubtful executive listening, send this note to the other 29 teams. The Mets have no reason to sell their players to shed payroll because unless they're really shedding, I'm talking getting rid of Scherzer and Verlander and getting this $80, $90 million down and getting themselves under the tax significantly for next year. There is no reason for them to sell off players for the benefit of already prospects that you acquire are long shots to make an impact. There's a high chance that they'll fail. There's no such thing as a short thing. I'm sorry. They're not going to do that for C-level prospects that may never even make it to AAA, just so that you can chuckle in your boardroom with your Ivy League degree hanging above your desk that you you bamboozled a billionaire. You bamboozled Billy Ax, uh, Bobby Axelrod. So if that's already the the, the attitude because it's being thrown out there through the media, which is being used as a vessel to try to sway public opinion and to potentially send messages across the bow. If that's what the reality is, then then the Mets aren't trading anybody. I don't even think they should trade Tommy Pham for that. Because you trade these guys, they go somewhere else, they like it. You may want to bring some of these guys back. You may want to bring back a Robertson. You may want to bring back a Tommy Pham. You may want to, uh, you know, you're going to need a Brooks Raley or an Adovino next year if you want to compete, if you're not completely rebuilding. Why send them off, especially if they have, if you have controllability in some way with them, just to get some assets in a, to, to beef up the farm system so that Keith Law could move you from 15 to 13 on his list? No, not interested. They'll use the draft and their their talent development to do that. So, so really, I don't think this is going to be a wild deadline for the Mets. Will it be wild in the in the league? We'll see. Probably something crazy is going to happen. But I don't think it's going to be a wild deadline. And I think that's going to make it for a tough media landscape and fan landscape on Twitter for the next couple of weeks because if the Mets fall out of it, the whining will start again. The fire, fire, fire will start again. And then when the deadline comes and the Mets kind of play it sleepy because that's what would be smart based on what I'm reading, that's going to drive the fans nuts. But that's probably the way to do it, and that's the right thing to do, unless they want to start tearing apart and rebuild. Talk to me in 12 to 24 months if this farm system and the Mets are not going anywhere on the major league roster, and you're going to have to start thinking about tearing it down. We're not there yet. We're not far off, personally. I know that's scary to think. We've brought up the R word before, but but we're not there yet. It's close. You could see it maybe in the very, very distant. Now, a lot could change, and I think we hope that it changes because we don't want to have that conversation. But that's where we're at. So keep in mind, you heard it here first, tepid deadline, 
nothing crazy. Maybe they trade a fan, maybe Robertson, maybe the market gets heating up for that and the Mets get a top 10 prospect, and away you go, and that's fine if they're out of it. But unless it's a really, really, I think they put their chips to the center of the table and say, this is the guy I want from you. You don't give it to me. He ain't going. Oh, he's a free agent at the end of the year. Good. I'll spend all, he could spend August and September closing meaningless games for me, David Robertson. And maybe I'll resign him. Have fun. Good luck. See you next year on opening day. All right. Let's have some fun. Let's put our hair down. Neil Rubenstein, comedian, Mets fan, has a big show at the Paramount. He'll be joining us in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me, comedian Neil Rubenstein. Um, has a debut coming out, have some dignity. Why is he on the show? Big Mets fan. I like to say I'm a D-list celebrity. I'm not a D-list celebrity. This is an A-lister. He was on The Sopranos. I had to say it, Neil. I had to say it. But anyway, welcome to the program. And I'm a pleasure to have you. And it's always fun to get somebody. And see, I'm not cool. Uh, so somebody in pop culture who's cool, that's a Mets fan, that could come and give this, you know, masterpiece theater type show some color commentary. It's always appreciated. Welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks, man. If you're a D-lister, I'm like a J-K-L-lister. <laughs> you have a pretty impressive resume. You can go to neilrubenstein.com. He has uh, a show on July 23rd at the Paramount. So, Neil, you grew up on Long Island, not too far, a little west yeah. of me. I'm out in Suffolk. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Mets fan. What, what era of Mets, before we get into some nuts and bolts, we're at the All-Star break. Let's let our hair down and have some fun. Um, you know, what era of Mets baseball did you chew your teeth on as a Mets fan growing up? So my older brother had uh, season tickets 86 through 88 or 89. I was a little too young to like really enjoy 86. Um, I mean, it just didn't have, it didn't have the weight it it had for other people. Um, So I'd say that like 88, I like went to a playoff game. So that was kind of like my first taste of like excitement. And then uh, I would say like, I really uh, got back into it and like full force uh, around the Beltran signing. Like I felt like, yeah, like I felt like a culture shift kind of coming. And I was like, right before that, I was at that kind of age where like, like nothing's cool, like stupid baseball, stupid, you know. Right. And uh, and then the Beltran signing, I was getting like a little bit more mature about stuff, and uh, that was really when I was like, oh, uh, you know, because I liked, I guess I was a fan of his from the, the Royals and that 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 uh, postseason with the Astros. So uh, it was just it was it was very exciting, and Pedro was exciting, and sure. You know, that all that. So so basically, you're like me. I became a fan right after 86. You had a little hiatus. I actually had a hiatus, not too much, but 93, 94, 95. 
big NBA fan, Knicks of the 90s. So we're the jinx there, Neil. Mets win. We become <laughs> fans because the Mets win. They haven't won since then. you know. And then you come on 06, and then they have the collapse 07. So maybe we could blame you a little bit. For some of the bad luck, right? I'm just joking, by the way. No, that is not far fetched at all. I I am a black cloud. Uh, <laughs> so you're one of those fans waiting for the other shoe to drop. I don't know if no, you follow no. Frank the Tank on Twitter. Uh, he's not a at tough all. To take. <laughs> I, I am I, I I am actually dead set again. I have a we have the Mets group chat, like our little text group, and it is no negativity allowed. We are you. I am. Positive. I get very. Uh, in fact, I often wear an Orioles cap because I don't want people to tell me that the Mets suck or that they hate or like, oh, I'm going to blow it today. Like, <laughs> listen, if you can talk to me about the Orioles, then I'll have a conversation with you about the Mets. There you go. Are you, I mean, listen, the All-Star break, we talked a little bit about it's that time to recharge. You know, as a fan, you know, short for fanatic, uh, yeah. you even need your time off. I'm not a big all-star home run derby guy. I did not. I admitted it at the beginning of the show. Did not watch the polar bear at the all-star uh, home run derby. Not yeah. really. I'll peek in a little bit. Maybe I'll see Senga if he gets into the game. You know, a, a couple of Alonzo bets. Are you an all-star fan? Do you have any all-star memories from growing up or, you know, from recent times? Yeah, I'm going to say, I mean, like it's cool. And like, uh, I, I like what it does for the fan bases and stuff, but since interleague play is so commonplace, it really doesn't do anything for me. Like I remember like as a kid, it would be like, Oh, I never see, you know, I didn't get a chance to see Bo Jackson. And then you get the all-star game and he puts on a show and you're like, Oh, I get it. I totally get Bo Jackson. Other than that. I mean, you know, maybe when, you know, uh, because by the time, I guess by the time Vladdy got to the Angels, I was already kind of like, well, I can see, I can see him wherever. So yeah, maybe like as a child, it mattered, but uh, not really. I don't, I'm not the, eh. I need a break too, especially a season like this. I need a season's been tough. Now we do know if you go to neilrubenstein.com, you see the pictures flash by. He has a Mets hat. He has a non-traditional black-on-black Mets hat. You chose the black-on-black. You might get a little grief on that. The traditionalist might say, come on, a black-on-black Mets hat? Not even the traditional uh, black Mets hat, a black-on-black Mets hat. No, I, I'm just I'm just playing around. But that, that's I got to you know, keep, a, I gotta keep a, um, you know, a style thing going. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> the, you know, the criminal in me makes me wear black all the time. That's right. Know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That real Rubenstein uh, comedian. You can check them out July 23rd at the Paramount. So it's been a rough first half. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen some fans kind of evoke the worst team money can buy. I've seen fans say this is the worst <laughs> Mets season in history, most embarrassing. I'm like, look, I know there's younger fans on Twitter. I know there's younger fans on social media. Uh, but if you've been a Mets fan for a decade or so, maybe I could buy that. Uh, I've been watching the team since 86, 87, similar to you. Uh, you took a little break in the 90s. Even though I took a step back, I experienced the worst team money can buy. It's frustrating, but in context of you watching the Mets for so long, I, I'm, I'm not that angry. I'm disappointed. No. I'm perplexed. Yeah. I'm perplexed. I'm not angry. Um, I sense there's maybe more anger than there should be. Uh, you know, how's the first half? I mean, it's clearly disappointing. What's I, the first half reaction been for you? I, I'm going to say that I feel like we are in good hands, though. Like, I'm not... 
um, like, especially hearing uh, Steve Cohen's presser about not firing anybody. And that like really like that really invoked some uh, feelings for me because it was like the whole Steinbrenner thing. It was about firing and firing and firing. And they didn't get good until he stopped firing people, you know? So it's like, it doesn't work. It's not, it, that doesn't make sense. Let's, you know, even with like, I mean, with anything, you need to give things a couple of years to flourish. And I don't know, I feel like we're on the right track and, you know, yeah, we're not clicking right now, but you know, there's so much hope. Sanga looks great. Alvarez looks unreal. Uh, I love the McNeil signing, even if he's having a bad year. Mimo looks better than ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, some of those guys are getting old. Uh, you know, kind of fell off a cliff somehow. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I, hopefully Mauricio is what he is in the minors. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not pulling the ripcord. I, I mean, even if the season's blown, like, you know what are you you're you're in it for one season i don't know like you're you're a met to your uh what's the once you're a met you're a met till the end something that's right i guess that's uh, once a nick always a nick once once a met always a met maybe if tommy fan gets traded we'll have to do the tribute video uh neil rubenstein <laughs> mets fan comedian he got a kick out of that one when are we going to see you throw out the first pitch now i was at i was at the gary delabate first pitch you got you got <laughs> i was actually yeah. sitting behind home plate i got tickets for christmas and the shock of that will i see neil rubenstein throw out a first pitch at some point and will it be I mean, better than howie rose or 50 cent yeah. or gary <laughs> delabate come on you're you're a dealer well, yeah you, you're an a yeah if you. we if we put it out in the universe i would love that to happen i would love to get to that level and uh yeah man at the very least, I'm warming up a couple of days in advance. Like, we well, can go out there and not know how to throw a ball. It's insane to me. I don't know, man. It's, I, it's been a while since I picked up a bat. I think I look pretty bad up there. The other day, I took a phantom swing in the mirror, and I'm like, geez, I look, I look awful. Like, how did but we if get you, to this point? But if you had to take first swing at a Met game, you'd go in the cage for a, a second. Bit. Yeah. I practice a little bit. I, Listen, I've done, I've there. done, Neil, I've done the fantasy camp many, many years ago, about oh, 15 sick. years ago. Uh, it ain't easy. I got to tell you, wooden bag no. and uh, it ain't easy. And uh, you'd be surprised. I used to, you know, I was arrogant. Ah, you know, I played in the mid nineties, you know, it's 2007. I could do this. I'll go up there and take a few hacks. Not quite. And although there's sixties and seventies, those guys, some of them throw pretty, pretty hard. Some pretty yeah. hard at those guys. So uh, we played, uh, we played uh, Twitter baseball with Evan Roberts a little bit. You, I, I umpired a Twitter baseball game one time oh, many yeah? years ago. Yes, I umpired, yeah. and I and I and I think I made a couple of bad calls, and I, they never invited me back. <laughs> yeah. I remember it was over um, in Whitestone, over by Co- the old Kaufman Astoria Studios. There's a field that Evan used at that Is point. That, We're going that's back the ten one years right under, right under the bridge. Yeah. Right down there, I there's a field. There. Yeah, yeah, he used that, and that's pretty cool. Are they still doing the Twitter baseball? Or they they've gotten off I, that. I don't know. I uh, about two years ago, I moved to the Midwest, so I don't really listen to FAN anymore. Also, are you, um, are you the, joining me from the Midwest now? I thought you were in your humble abode in Long Island at some point. I'm, I'm actually in Providence, Rhode Island, right now. Wow, I, uh, Providence! I've chosen Boston this weekend. So, so you're gonna be you're gonna be performing in front of a bunch of Red Sox fans at this point, huh? Yeah, well, I'll let them know. I'll You'll let them know. 
Do you do you uh do you weave sports into your act? Now, I've seen some of your clips. Uh, I, I like just, the, I, you know, go ahead, how do you, how do you, I like them, you know, uh, do you weave baseball or sports into some of your, your act? I, I have, um, I have some MMA material just cause like, uh, a buddy, like a bunch of buddies fight MMA. So like it's in our little, like our zeitgeist. Um, I would like to eventually get into that stuff, but it moved so quick and it's so niche that like. I feel like I would have to build that audience. I'd have to build that fan base. And then like, this would be for them, you know, as opposed to like right now, I'm just talking about myself to get, you know, people to come in the door, you know. I got you on that. Neil Rubenstein, comedian. Again, check him out July 23rd, Paramount, uh, neilrubenstein.com. So do you have any second half predictions? Do you, do you have things you're looking for? What, what, listen, what, Let's let's be realistic. Forty-eight and twenty-four gets into ninety wins, probably gets them into the playoffs. That's a tough yeah. ask. What do you? Yeah, what I, would you like to see? What's realistic? What do you like to see? What are you looking for? What are some of the things that you're kind of putting on there as a Mets fan to kind of go out there in the second half and say, "All right, these are the two I, or three I, things I'd like to see." If they could make it entertaining into mid early September. At this point, I'd take that. I'd also like to see Quintana come back and be great. I'd like to see Mauricio in the majors, maybe if that means a fam trade, or if this groin injury turns out to be something, maybe Mauricio comes up and McNeil goes to left. I don't know. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see what he's made of uh, on the majors. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the season doesn't feel like it's uh, feels like it's going to be one of those seasons. So now I'll give you some as... good news. Edwin Diaz thrown from 150 feet. You got to feel good about that. Yeah, sure. But if if we got nothing to play for, let him take the take let him the take the rest off. of the season off. Yeah, 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 he yeah, can borrow my. Season. He can borrow your knee or my knee. I'll jump up and tear it. Yeah. He can take my good. He can take <laughs> my good. You know, I'm still trying to figure out. How the heck that happened? I've watched that replay about uh, a half dozen times. And I said to myself, where did the, I've never, I can't figure it out. You know, wasn't there like a Kendry Morales injury back in the day that was very similar, but they like pounded a hard on him. I mean, this was more, Hey, yeah, you know, that whole thing. And uh, I don't know. It, it didn't, yo, like, honestly, it just didn't surprise me. Like it, it was just, once I heard it, I was like, Oh yeah, that checks out. Yeah. And, and you know what? <laughs> It, it, it's interesting that I have said there's been and and there's it's kind of been dispelled a little bit the last week with the six game winning streak with Alvarez playing better with the pitching coming around despite the two losses against San Diego. But from the point after New Year, when Correa the Correa deal fell apart, which might be a blessing in disguise, to obviously then spring training happened, WBC, everybody scattered about, then Diaz has the injury. There was this pall about the team, almost a hangover or some kind of negative energy. I know that that's too woo-woo for some people, but it's almost like they haven't shook that. Maybe they're starting to shake that. Uh, for the first time the last week, it felt more normalish. Even when they were 14 and 7, it didn't feel normal. And it's weird because it's almost like there was this pall. I think that to me, Diaz, and I said this in the open, I can't believe I'm saying this, a closer who pitches one inning 60 times a year. 
might have been the Mets MVP and might have had a bigger impact on this team in this club last year than we thought. I, I mean, that's certainly valid, valid arguments, but I, I always looked at it like we didn't improve the team at all. There, there was no, uh, I mean, you want to say Navarez and then an unknown Alvarez at the time is a better option than McCann and, and Nito, sure. But like, I don't know where else we improved. And so going into the season, like any big expectations, I was like, it's not real because we didn't improve and literally everyone else did. You know, the Phillies signed Trey Turner going into a year where stolen bases are going to be more common. Like uh, the the Braves do what the Braves do every year. They signed fucking Sean Murphy. Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. They signed they signed Sean Murphy when they already had Darno lighting up the lighting up the league. Like they made improvements, and we made no improvements. We swapped out Degrom for Verlander, which I don't know if that was Plan A. And we did nothing else. It's like, so yeah, we're not going to be as good as last year. We're not going to be a 101 win team. I don't know that we should have lost. What it looks like it's going to be like a 30 game swing, but About you that. know, I, it just it it just it was like, all right, we're not. This season isn't going to be the great season. Last season was a great season, and hopefully next season with the rookies having another year under their belt. And, you know, maybe some, you know, a couple of contracts coming off the, off the books, maybe, I, I, I don't know, but I don't, I never looked at this season like, oh, this is the one. It never felt like that to me. It was just like, all right, well, let's enjoy it and let's see what we got in these kids. It's interesting because your take is much more balanced than what you see a lot of people already. I think, you know, year three, Steve Cohen era starting to, you know, show some cracks. I think they, they don't have, a lot of people forget the the instability the organization's been through. Um, we didn't we didn't have a pitching lab until three days ago, where every other team has one. We didn't have a farm system until this year. We also lost two years from pandemic, sure, and the lockout. We, Good point. We, we don't. We still don't have a president of baseball operations. You want to we, you want to apply for it? You know, you're a comedian <laughs> contrarian at neilrubinstein.com. Let's book comedian contrarian president of baseball operations, New York Mets. Look, I think on Saturday nights you could still do the Paramount. I don't think that they'll uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I don't know, man. They're smarter people than I am, and 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 they I I, I believe in them. I trust them. I, I I think we're in good hands. I think the I mean, sure, Buck makes some, like, interesting bullpen decisions, and he always has. I mean, going back to the Zach Britton thing a million years ago. But I don't know. I feel like we're in good hands, and they're, they're doing the right thing, and we're heading in the right direction, and we're trending north. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think we're, I think we'll be all right. And, you know, it's not going to be every year. You're not going to win every year. No one, no one wins every year. Very balanced take. So, Neil, your debut special, Have Some Dignity. That's yes, the theme. Sir. Let's do that for the second half of the Mets. Have some dignity. Yeah, just have some Let's dignity. get out there. It's like I'm look, I'm giving you a perfect plug. I'm, con- I'm putting it. the Mets into your debut special. Let's have some dignity. Maybe you don't make the playoffs. Maybe this thing doesn't yeah. go exactly how we thought. But you know, I almost think kind of like Lou Brown, Major League, without the you know, <laughs> ripping 
the, the piece. We don't want to see a naked Steve Cohen in the locker room with them ripping off his suit, uh, you know, after each win. But it should be it least, should be Will Pond. It should be the Frank Will Pond. You know, rip it off. You know, have some dignity. I can see, you know, Buck Showalter getting into it. Let's just go have some fun. You know, putting one of your debut specials in the background to fire everybody up. So give the listeners an idea. NeilRubinstein.com, debut special, have some dignity. The theme of the Mets second half. Here we go. We just announced it here on the Talking Mets podcast. Mike Silva, I'm a trendsetter. I can be cool just like everybody else. Uh, You're very cool. There you go. So uh, give us a little bit taste of your uh, of your debut special. What? No, that's weird, man. I can't do that. Just <laughs> it's a, uh, listen, I cross a lot of lines. Uh, that's all I'll say. Like I, you know, if it's a topic that we're not supposed to talk about, I'm going to talk about it. Like I, bullpen I management. Like, like yeah. you said, yeah. Buck Showalter yeah. is not that bad. It's a controversial topic in some quarters at that point. That's not, except for, yo, know, his bullpen management skills are probably the worst, but other than that, like his personal skills, like he, he gets really good performances out of people. Like we overperformed last year. And I think this year sure. is the proof of that. Sure. I, I, get that. I don't know. You know, is Pete better than a 240, 50 home run guy? I mean, you know what I mean? If this was 1970, would he get cut? <laughs> no, you know no. what I mean? It would. It would certainly. The batting average would certainly at two eleven raise a lot of eyebrows. Except if, yeah. if you were if I mean, you were a Dave Kingman fan. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say if Kingman was around right now or Adam Dunn was around right now, they'd be getting twenty nobody million. Nobody cares. Twenty five million a year. And nobody back cares then, at that point. Yeah, these guys couldn't couldn't be like that back then. I I, I, I don't know. So yo, I heard something that like if Tony Gwynn. If Tony Gwynn struck out for an entire season, he'd still be a 300 career hitter? Yes, I, I've seen what you've talked about. I don't know exactly what It's the, something like that, it's right? Something it's like something like that that tells you how elite he was. Obviously a different type of hitter. The game is different. Well, let me ask you this. All right, now I'm, like not bothered. <laughs> I'm not bothered about... I don't. I was never really. Bo- I mean, the game was long and it was sluggish, and I don't mind the pitch clock. I think uh, getting out no, of this I thing. I don't think getting out of this thing in two and a half hours doesn't bother me. I, you know, no. my wife is very appreciative that she gets thirty more minutes a night to see me. You know, <laughs> so um, I don't. You know, I don't really mind the way the game is. I don't mind the changes. I don't mind the ghost runner. These are all things I was against. I'm not. Cra- it's one thing I'm not crazy about is the three batter rule, but whatever. You know, I can live with that. I think the one thing, the one thing is the, the ghost runner, maybe, maybe if, if it were up to me and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but maybe start that in the 11th, maybe give it one real extra inning. And then the only other thing is the umpires and I'm very pro umpire. I'm not being, I'm not a negative guy on the umpires, this, they suck this, whatever. The, I think the umpires need to use their, um, uh, in the spirit of the game more when it comes to the pitch clock. Like if the guy's, he's almost set, like d- don't be so quick to be like, ah, gotta. So nice. you, you want it, you want it to be like the lane violation in the NBA. Now I'm an NBA fan. Watch a free throw. How many lane violations can I call on a free throw? Now, of course you're a Knicks fan. All of a sudden in the playoffs, they call lane violations. Like, come on. Well, so you want it to well, be more like remember, the lane violation in the NBA. 
if you remember when they first started with the amount of times, I don't know if it was amount of times where the batter couldn't step out of the box at all or something. Uh, David Ortiz was like, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. And he would just, <laughs> just you know what I mean? Out. And no one called I'm him I'm a star. It. Everyone just nobody's let gonna, it go. Nobody's going to question him. Nope. So to me, like, let's maybe, I don't know, I don't know if grandfather in or maybe, maybe two more seconds on the clock. I just, I just would hate to see a playoff game or a World Series game be determined be by a ball two on a pitch violation, on a pitch clock violation. Yep, that would I agree. that would bum me out. Maybe you give them that extra couple of seconds, tenth of or, a second. Like usually, yeah. I agree with you. Like, and we've seen it. There's a couple of times I've seen the pitch clock go down to zero. The guys kind of get news wind up. I think if you're kind of like this. You know, and you can't see me if you're listening, but you have like one foot out, one foot in, get ready to get into the box. You know, I could see that. Look, you watch an NBA playoff game or any game, any NBA game, watch the lane violations, watch how they let the foot go in, go foot go out. Then they call the egregious ones. I get that. So what, let the listeners know. So you're going to be watching the Mets in the second half. You obviously have the, uh, the, the event, the July 23rd, the Paramount. You have neilrubinstein.com, the debut special, have some dignity. What do you got for the listeners to uh, to check you out? You know, you, a bunch of Mets fans listening, like comedy, like entertainment. You have a impressive resume. I don't care if you had a cameo on The Sopranos. You met Tony Soprano, so you're okay <laughs> in my book. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I worked with uh, I worked with Steve for a while, Steve Sharippa, for a while on a on a show on Spike TV. Which is how um, I got the Sopranos. Song. I remember Mac, Matt. Was it Matt Eisman? I remember maybe Matt Eisman. I think he used to be on Matt on Spike TV at some point. Versus oh, versus, Matt Eisman was on. Yep, I yeah. was actually it's somewhere on YouTube. I got together at a round table with Eisman when he got that sports soup. I think it was. I don't know how they found me. I always get involved in this weird stuff. Like like a D-list celebrity would get thrown into this whole thing. Yeah, so, yeah you are. You, know, you are. You so with Eisman, and then I ended up having Eisman on a couple of times, many moons ago. But uh, so you're with Steve Shripa. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, uh, some of the others, uh, 30 rock you're on. So you've had pretty good. So you've had a pretty impressive, yeah. uh, uh, acting just, career. Yeah. Well, just like, just, just, uh, extra stuff, like featured extra stuff, you know, um, not, not much. The, I, I didn't really, other than the spike TV gig, everything was kind of just like featured or featured, uh, featured extra or extra. Um, but this, the Spike TV thing that was uh, like four years it lasted. I was, I was the um, the on air dealer. I did like tips and like some like uh, I would like teach celebrities how to play gambling games. And uh, now you ran a poker like, room, am I correct? You ran a poker room at that point. Yeah, which is how I got this <laughs> gig. Yeah, I yeah, I just my you were yeah. like the guy in Boiler Room. That before he became yes. the boiler room, you're like Giovanni Rabisi in the boiler room before the boiler yeah. room. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. Uh, in addition to my father making sure I was a Met fan, he also uh, made sure I was a criminal. I had no, <laughs> there was no. Uh, he used to hey, say, "Look, gambling's time. probabilities. You should be really good yeah. at baseball because managing I a bullpen see. is about probabilities. <laughs> Poker is about playing the house. And yeah, think about it. Is. You, Billy Epler said there was a 17 percent chance for the best team." said this last year, to win the World Series. That's the probability. That's the best of the best. So you look at that, we have an 83% chance of us talking on a year-in and year-out basis of walking away from this thing failing. That's a. I walked into your casino, I probably had a 98% chance of of losing my money. But I still (laughs) have, you know, I'll take the 83 if I was doing that. Yeah, yeah. 
that was that was great. So we're adding you to the list of luminaries that have come on the talking match. Many uh, moons ago, we right. had Joe Gattascoli, Vito from the Sopranos. We had you. You had a little bit of a more minor part. So we're adding you to the to the pantheon, and we'll be That's watching great. you. So you know, awesome. we hope that you listen. We hope we want to do this again. And uh, you know, maybe when you're in Long Island, so I don't know if I can make the trip over the to a seven one eight area code two into area code. Let me know when you're on <laughs> Long Island, and I'll take my wife yeah. out. We'll go watch you at a at a at, at you know a comedy. Uh, a comedy venue somewhere out there. Will do, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. All right, Neil. Be well and uh, keep in touch. And thank you again. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. So that is Neil Rubenstein, neilrubenstein.com. Good stuff. All right. Let's take a quick break and wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. There have been a lot of amazing scenarios during Mets history. Did you know that Mr. Matt was fired? Yes, fired for a brief time. Devin Gordon, author of the book So Many Ways to Lose, the amazing true story of the New York Mets, talked about Mr. Matt's short-lived replacement on the Talking Mets podcast. They actually fired Mr. Matt. fired Mr. Matt. Loving father and husband. And replaced him with a mule. A live, actual mule that they mean metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, because they wanted a symbol of unglamorous grit and determination to be the symbol of the mess. And they they ended up, it turned out, and this only occurred to them later, the demise of Metal the Mule um, was brought on, um, because it turns out that um, mules need to be fed, and they require care and feeding, and you right. have to store them in humane facilities. And all of these things cost money, um, whereas you can pay Mr. Met 9 to 5. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Want to thank Neil Rubenstein for joining us. A little bit fun segment. Hope you. Check him out, neilrubenstein.com. Appreciate uh, a couple of minutes of his time to share his thoughts about the Mets. Seemed to be a pretty balanced Mets fan, too. More so than some who listen to the show regularly. So, All right, anyway, uh, a couple of random thoughts on the way out. Uh, first thing with the show schedule. So basically, this is going to be weird and wacky over the next few weeks. We could be doing shows with basically waving the white flag and, and talking about the deadline strategy, which I already laid out to you. And we'll get deeper into it. I think it's going to be a very much, here's what I have. You come to me. This is what I want if they're selling. And, you know, you don't want to come to the table. I'm not going to just shed salary. Unless one of these guys say, hey, look, Billy, Steve, I really want to go play for a winner. Could you help me out? That Because something like that will go a long way in making its way through the Players Association and, and giving people an idea this is a good place to play. Treating players properly even sometimes when it's not 100% in the team's best interest, I think we'll come back, that karma will come back in spades. You may disagree, but I think that that's something important. So, And then if the Mets are in it, I don't think they're going to do more than maybe ancillary. They're not going to go sell off major assets to go all in to make the wild card for eight weeks of Otani or you know to rip the farm system apart for Soto when they could potentially sign him in a year and a half. They're going to they're not going to do that. You have to play the long game here. Now, I found it interesting the Yankees fired their hitting coach and you've heard me say cuz people have talked about doing that here and they have done that here the Mets did it a couple of years ago. 
with Chili Davis, who I thought was an excellent hitting coach. And if you ever want to, and I've said this before, and I highly recommend it, you want to uh, hear a little bit about hitting and an interesting story, there's a two-part podcast on Brett Boone's podcast. It's a couple of years old. I think it was recorded probably early last year in 2022. But Chili Davis, and he talks a little bit about his time with the Mets. You could hear that. And, and those are the kind of old-school hitting coaches that are becoming rarer and rarer. And I think Sean Casey said something, and it, it applies to the Mets because I wonder if it's impacting guys like McNeil. And uh, Andy Martino reported this yesterday. He said, Casey sounds big on meeting the hitters and learning what they do and what they need, more so than learning or implementing the organizational slash player development hitting philosophy. This is a huge issue, and it starts with analytics departments shoving what they believe is the round peg in the square hole, and everybody has to behave a certain way philosophy. You saw this undo the 2021 Mets. We thought we were past it. I wonder if we're back to it. But this game needs to get back to bringing in coaches who have big league experience, who are willing to work with the player within their skill set to make them the player that they can be realistically, not the player that they want them to be. Because you know what? You could try as hard as you might and you want to turn Jeff McNeil into Max Muncy or Daniel Murphy, and I just don't think that that's the case. Now, you could argue and say, well, Mike, look at Daniel Murphy. He used to be a line drive, doubles, singles hitter, and he became uh, you know, a 35-home run star. It was in him. That was a tweak that Kevin Long did with Murphy. Murphy didn't stop becoming the line drive. He's actually quite an elite hitter that two-year span. Now, maybe if he had done it a couple of years earlier, he would have had a longer stretch. Injuries did him in. I know he's in the Anaheim farm system playing pretty well in AAA. With his comeback, we'll see where that goes. Um, But it wasn't like they took Murphy and changed him into a a completely different player. It wasn't like he was Luis Castillo, a singles speed hitter, and they turned him into Daniel Murphy. And I think that's part of the problem recognizing a player's skill set, what they can do, how they can improve them without compromising what their strengths are. And I don't know where I heard this, but I heard this a long time ago. And this wasn't in the context of sports or baseball. It was in the context of sometimes as a a population, when we're trying to achieve and do things, we focus so much on what we don't, what we're not good at and trying to get better at that. And then we forget what we're good at and we don't leverage and make what we're good at elite, that we never really become anything more than middling in that case because you're always focused on you know, the, the great, uh, the, the white whale, so to speak. And I think we're, this is a novice opinion. This is a humble novice opinion. I think we're doing that in baseball specifically. And I think we're doing it across organizations. Now, if you want to have a certain type of hitting philosophy and hitter, go out and draft those people. I don't think... In an environment where we talk about diversity in many different areas in in the world, baseball from a player development side, I think sometimes is the exact opposite, is not diverse. And even though the game has implemented all these changes, we're not seeing scoring go up exponentially. It's what, I think it was so the other day it went from 4.2 to 4.5. Now, you could go back into the history of baseball in the 80s when I started watching or maybe even further back if you're a little bit older than I am. And that's pretty normal as scoring pre-steroids. The only time scoring went bananas was the 90s with the steroids. 
Same small ballpark, same crappy middle relief, no steroids, all of a sudden things change a little bit. We're not going to get into that conversation. But um, I think if you want to get back, you can't legislate your way back into the kind of game you want. I think you got to start to, as organizations, you got to start to wonder, what are we doing here? Now, I think the media is going to overrate Sean Casey. He's a gregarious guy. You know, the Yankees are the Yankees. He's going to come on and be, you know, good copy. So for the next few weeks, you know, if the Yankees go on a run and start hitting and, and Kiner Falafa becomes uh, Derek Jeter at the plate, all of a sudden Sean Casey's a maestro. That's not going to happen. And if it does, it's not because of Sean Casey. Hitters go in and out. They are who they are. But I will say if that philosophy is something that turns the Yankees around, I would take that tweet from Martino. I'd save it. And we're going to go back to it because maybe the Mets need a little bit of that. Since Chavez moved into the bench coach role, I've seen a little bit of that 2021 analytics Mets type of uh, performance from the hitters. So there's that. Finally, some of you wanted me to comment on the draft. I'm not going to get into that too deep. Here's what I'll say about the draft. First of all, it's laughable how fans are judging the Mets draft strategy. You know, this is not the NBA. Victor Wembignana is not going to be walking through anybody's door in the next two weeks and changing someone's season. There's no Shaquille O'Neal that's going to be on the opening day roster and take the Oakland Athletics from the worst team in the league to the best team in the league. This is not the NFL where the, the franchise quarterback just walked through the door. This is baseball where, best case scenario, you're two or three years away. More than likely, you're five and you're dra- drafting on best player available and talent and skill sets, not on the New York Mets need this right now. And why do they take a high school shortstop when they have Lindor uh, already in the organization? You know what happens when you do what the fans want? You get Eddie Koontz. Remember Eddie Koontz? The Mets drafted a reliever because they needed bullpen help and they wanted to shore up their bullpen in that Omar Manaya run. And Eddie Koontz was a complete bust. That's not how you draft. And that was a big criticism of the Mets about 15 years ago that they were drafting more on need to supplement their roster because of financial constraints versus actually putting together a coherent draft strategy. Now, you could argue that when only 9% of your prospects have hit the big leagues, although I think from a war perspective, those that have have been impactful. I've seen that. I've also seen that analysis. So the Mets seem to be making an impact, but maybe not a breadth of players. And just because you put on a big league uniform and you were drafted doesn't mean you, you're quality. Um, so I'm not going to pretend to be a draft expert. I'm not going to pretend that I know scouting. What I will do, and I will promise you guys this over the next couple of weeks, we'll dive deeper into it as this thing marinates, and we'll try to get you some information. I'll try to see who I can get on that maybe has been doing a little bit more homework But my message to you is this. Nobody knows. Nobody knew Brandon Nimmo. We talked about Brandon Nimmo, I remember, on the old NYBD website. And we forgot about him until he got called up in 2017, 2016, whatever it was. And now he's a star or a borderline star. So, you know, nobody knew that back in 2011 when he was drafted. All they knew is that he, he was from an area that didn't have any baseball, that was cold, and he used to work out in a barn. So that was why the story was cool. Uh, the Mets draft picks, we'll forget about them for the most part over the next couple of weeks. And uh, and look, we'll, we'll talk about them when they're at Binghamton or there's some kind of reason to believe that they're starting to show that they're getting closer. 
And that's it. I mean, everybody cried about Kumar Rocker. Well, guess what? He's hurt, just like the Mets predicted. So there's that. So I'm not going to get too deep on that today, but we will, I promise. I know everybody likes talking prospects and draft. We teased it a little bit by doing a farm system report with our buddy Ernie Dove. You know, getting a guy on from MLB.com, all these agenda-driven writers that, you know, have to say certain things to keep their sources happy. Uh, you know, you can read that on MLB.com. You, need, you don't need to come to my show. We got to be different. We got to be better. We got to be able to to get underneath the hood to provide you the content that you deserve. You know, New York Times just gutted their sports staff. Not that they New York Times ever was a destination for sports, but it tells you where this thing is going. What we're doing here is going to become more important. What we're doing here is going to, I believe, shows like this, and not just mine. There are others. Are is you know, it's going to become a more important part of your viewing experience when you're not watching the games because you're not going to be able to get people to be able to do this for a living. So people who do this kind of like independently, contractually, might become more important. So that's my little rant for the day. So hopefully those smorgasbord of things uh, interest you. Hope you enjoyed the show. By the way, I don't know when it's coming out. I was on the Subway to Shape podcast with Anthony Rivera. Hope you're going to enjoy that. So check that out. Somebody Shea, our buddy Anthony Rivera, I was a guest there. I was actually on video. I don't know if he's going to post the video, but if it is, you guys could critique my my shirt. You could critique my haircut. You could do whatever you want because you like to critique everything else. Um, but other than that, I want to thank Neil Rubenstein for joining us. I want to thank you guys for being patient a couple extra days before I came back to you. Hopefully we get back to some meaningful baseball. We're crossing our fingers. It starts tomorrow night. Mets Dodgers. Big weekend series, I'm sure, but the Dodgers in town, City Field will be packed. I don't think you get, like back in the 90s when I was young, you used to get the Giants and the, and the Dodgers, such as about 30% of the ballpark. It was not Subway Series-esque, but it was very annoying how you get those old school Giants and Dodgers fans showing up. And you're like, come on, man, they, they moved 30, 40 years ago, get over it. But now it's so distant, you wonder if that's still the case. But the Dodgers are still a very popular team. They're a Hollywood team, so I'm sure you'll have a good contingent of Dodgers fans to annoy us throughout the weekend. So there's that. All right. You can check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, no G. And also, I want to thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network for supporting the show. I'm your host, Mike Silva, and enjoy the rest of your week. Have a, have a great weekend. Enjoy the Dodgers series. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast this next Sunday. Till then, take care, everybody. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the podcast.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.